stand and join us as we begin our service of worship by singing our praises to God. Living again, singing and 
Father, we thank you for who you are. You care about people who are great and mighty and people who are weak and small. We thank you that you care about us. You are present with us today and we are grateful. We just ask that you would help us to hear you, to experience you, to be open to you in this gathering together. And that our worship bring honor and glory to you, draw us closer to you, and connect us more and more with one another as the church. And we pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. There are always opportunities uh, in the church to use your gifts or to just simply serve, whether it's actually, you feel like it's your gift or not. And there are a couple of things that uh, we are, have opportunities for you. One is to help with Children's Church uh, over the weekends of the college break. And I recognize a lot of you are college students, so you might not be here. Uh, but if you are or if you're not a college student and you're here, uh, love to have your help and love to give you a chance to serve our, our little ones. And uh, it's a great opportunity to invest in the, uh, the, ch- in the children of our congregation at uh, the 8 th- 820 and 11 o'clock services. There's a sign-up sheet in the back. It's March 2nd, March 9th, and you see an announcement in the bulletin about that. The other thing we're doing over the break is we're doing a little missions trip, working with Wellspring Ministries in Angelica. And we're going to be going down and uh, spending days down there working and interacting with uh, the folks there, encouraging them, and just being a part of this local ministry. Sometimes we take trips that are a long ways away. This year, we're doing something right in our, our backyard. So we'd love to have you a part of that. And again, you see sign-up information in the bulletin related to uh, that ministry as well. There are always things for us to uh, pray about, things related to the world and things related to us here. Uh, we want to pray uh, especially for those who are grieving. And we want to pray for Brian Maston and his family, his, his death of his brother a week or so ago. And for the family of Ruth Hutton. Ruth's been a long time part of our community. And she died Friday morning. And her uh, arrangements, uh, visitation will be Friday at the Copler Williams Funeral Home from 5 to 8 in the evening. And the service will be Saturday at 2 o'clock here at the church. So Ruth Hutton's service will Saturday, 2 o'clock. Here at the church with a visitation an hour beforehand. We also want to continue praying for uh, Bonnie Zemanski. Her situation, her condition has deteriorated uh, dramatically over the last week or so. And uh, I know that Bonnie and her family would appreciate our prayers uh, as uh, she is wrestling with her illness. There are others as well and we want to remember them in our prayers also. We're going to ask the ushers to come and assist us as we give back to God from all the ways in which he has blessed our lives. You dwell in songs that we are singing Rising to the heavens, rising to your heart, your heart. Our praises filling up the spaces, and between our frailty and everything you are, you are the keeper of my heart. And I'm Speak now. 
pray together. If you'd like to use the altar reel as the place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Father, we come today hearing your call to rest in you. Amid all the noise and the busyness of life that confuses us and weakens us and confuses us. We pray, Father, that you will help us. Help us to rest in you, to hear your call of peace, and to find in you that wonderful resting place. Father, we come today acknowledging that you are the great God and that you can do all things. We pray for this world in which we live and the burdens and the concerns of, of this world and we think particularly of your people around the world, many of whom place their lives in danger by calling on the name of Jesus who place their well-being, their families, their jobs, their homes in danger because they worship you. We pray that you would protect them and we pray that you would bless their witness and give them strength. And we pray, Father, that their lives would inspire us in our lives, quite frankly, of relative ease. 
We pray, Father, that you will help us as your children and wherever you have placed us to be willing and open vessels for you to use. That through us, people would see you, see your light and your mercy and your grace and be drawn to you. Father, we pray for the needs and the burdens that are right here among us. We think of those who are grieving. We pray for Brian and his family. Continue to encourage them and comfort them. And we pray for Ruth's family. Even as they, even as they celebrate that she is with you, help them in their grief and pain and loss that she is no longer with us. We pray, Father, for those who are struggling with illness and disease, with pain and the various ways it comes to us in these fallible, broken, fragile bodies. We pray for Donna and Bill and John, for Bev and Edna and Linda and Micah. We pray for Bonnie. We pray for Crystal and Bill and Emily and all others who are on our minds and hearts this morning. Father, we thank you for hearing our prayers today. We thank you that you call us to yourself as your children. You wrap your arms of love around us and you lead us and guide us and encourage us and help us. Give us the ability to rest in you and to trust you in every way and in every moment. We offer our prayers through Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our returning King. Amen. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 13, verses 15 through 22, page 486 in your pew Bibles, Nehemiah 13, 15 to 22. In those days, I saw men in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys together with wine, grapes, figs, and all other kinds of loads. And they were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Therefore, I warned them against selling food on that day. Men from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them in Jerusalem on the Sabbath to the people of Judah. I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this wicked thing you are doing, desecrating the Sabbath day? Didn't your forefathers do the same things so that our God brought all this calamity upon us and upon this city? Now you are stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath. When evening shadows fell on the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I ordered the doors to be shut and not opened until the Sabbath was over. I stationed some of my own men at the gate so that no load could could be brought in on the Sabbath day. Once or twice the merchants and sellers of all kinds of goods spent the night outside Jerusalem. But I warned them and said, Why do you spend the night by the wall? If you do this again, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, they no longer came on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites to purify themselves and go and guard the gates in order to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember me for this also, O my God, and show mercy to me according to your great love. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand and sing with us. My soul finds rest in God alone, my rock and my salvation. A fortress strong against my foes, and I will not be shaken. Though lips may bless and hearts may curse, and lies like arrows pierce me, I'll fix my heart on righteousness, I'll look to Him who hears me.
May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. When you hear the word Sabbath, what comes to your mind? Is that a negative word or a positive word? Does it, um, does it make you feel excited or something else? Recently someone said to me, I have a love-hate relationship with the Sabbath. And and I think that is probably indicative of many of our lives, depending on the kind of church we may have grown up in, if we grew up in church. In In a lot of conservative churches, Sunday is all about what you can't do, which is pretty much how I was raised. In fact, Sunday was the most boring day of the week as a child. I did not look forward to Sunday. Some of you may be thinking, why are we even talking about this? What, what's, what, why is it even that big of a deal? It's not like, it's not like observing the Sabbath is, is 
at the center of what it means to be a follower of God. I mean, observing the Sabbath is, is just something that people do, I guess, sometimes. But, I mean, it's, it's not as important as prayer. It's not as important as knowing the Bible. It's not as important as, you know, as not committing idolatry. Or, I mean, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is, it is a big deal. Because when you read the scriptures, you find that God says to his people over and over and over again, this is important. It's essential. When God calls the Israelites out of Egypt and he sits them down in the desert and he begins to explain to them what it means to be his children, he says there are 10 super important things for you to know. 10 things around which you need to shape your lives. And one of those 10 is remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Okay, that seems kind of important. When you come to the New Testament, it astounds me out of all the stories that the gospel writers could tell about Jesus. And John implies that there are probably thousands and thousands of stories about Jesus' life that are not included in the Gospels. So of all the things that they could have told us about Jesus, it's astounding how many times it mentions Jesus and the Sabbath. How many times it tells us Jesus was in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Jesus Jesus went to the temple on the Sabbath. Jesus healed people on the Sabbath and it created this whole chaotic event. Over and over and over again, the gospel writers talk to us about Jesus observing the Sabbath. It's that important. And if it's that important that God puts it in the Ten Commandments, if it's that important that that Jesus observes it, and, and actually, Nehemiah tells us here, and we see this other places as well, that one of the reasons the Israelites are sent into exile by God is because they don't practice Sabbath, then it ought to be important to us. The problem is we get confused about what Sabbath keeping means. Now, for Nehemiah, we go back to to the ancient days in the passage we read. Nehemiah feels this call from God to come back to Jerusalem. It's because of the exile. It's in shambles. The wall around the city is torn down. And he gets his burden to rebuild the wall. And so he gets permission from the king and he goes back to Jerusalem. and, And he gets the people together and they rebuild the wall. So they have a place of security and they begin to rebuild the city. And it's beginning to thrive. And they get out the book of the law, something that they haven't read for decades. And as they're reading the book of the law, and a lot of the people who are there have never even read the book of the law, they begin reading about things. And now that they are secure, now that they've gotten the city going, they say, all right, now let's think about things spiritual. And they sit down and they begin reading through it. And Nehemiah says here in chapter 13, we didn't read all of it, but he says, wow, there's some stuff here that we aren't doing and we need to. And he starts running the people through these things. And in the middle of this is this idea of keeping Sabbath. They're just buying and selling on the Sabbath. They're treating the the Sabbath just like every other day. And Nehemiah says, wait a minute, this isn't right. Remember, we went into exile because we were doing this. Let's change this up a little bit. And people are coming from other cities to sell and buy there in Jerusalem. And they, and they come into the city. And so Nehemiah says, we're going to put it into that. And he closes the door to the gates of the city. Closes them up. And he's so concerned about this that a couple of nights, a couple of Sabbath eves, the, um, some of the people who are coming from other cities sit, camp outside, enticing the people of Israel to break Sabbath. And Nehemiah threatens them with bodily harm. And they scurry away. It's that important. The question for us is, what do we do? I mean, we, we as a society at some point have tried to mandate Sabbath. And that hasn't worked so well. So what do we do? How, if it's so important to God, why is it such a struggle for us? Maybe it's because of how we view Sabbath. Now, for some people, there's the mindset of we don't need to do Sabbath anymore because we're not Jews, we're Christians. We don't practice Judaism, we practice Christianity. And we don't, we don't worship God on Saturday, the Sabbath. We worship God on Sunday, the Lord's Day, the day of, that commemorates the resurrection of Christ. And that is true. 
We do worship on Sunday, on the day that Christ rose from the dead. And every Sunday is considered a mini Easter as, as we all come together every week. And so we say, well, we don't need to worry about that anymore. But that would mean that we are saying it's not the Ten Commandments anymore. Now it's the Nine Commandments. And I don't think any of us want to eliminate one of the commandments. So it's too important to just say, well, we don't do that anymore. Others have taken what we talked about in terms of the Old Testament demands for Sabbath and just simply overlaid them on Sunday. So all of these rules and regulations about what you couldn't do on the Sabbath, we're going to say now you can't do those on Sunday. And it's sort of what the Puritans did in the early days of this country. And so that's why we, we have people who, who have places and, and churches and people who say Sunday is all about what you cannot do. And here, we'll give you a list. In fact, you can use this checklist. And all of these things, you go down at the end of the day and say, nope, didn't do that, didn't do that, didn't do that, didn't do that, I'm good. And it's all about rules that we follow. It's all about what we can't do. But that's not God's intent. The truth of the matter is, Sabbath is not supposed to be what we can't do. It's supposed to be what we can do. It's not rules against things. It's actually freedom from things. See, the context of Sabbath, the context of the Ten Commandments is set in Israel being rescued from slavery in Egypt. At the beginning of the Ten Commandments, God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Now, here are my commandments. And all of the Ten Commandments are set in the context of God rescuing Israel from Egypt. And when you come to Sabbath, God says, the reason you practice this is, first of all, because you're my children. I want relationship with you. But it's also about being set free from from slavery. Slaves don't get a day off. Slaves work every day. Slaves are at the beck and call of their masters. Slaves are tools. They're really not people. Slaves have no rights. Slaves, slaves can't say, you know what, I think tomorrow I won't show up for work. It just doesn't work that way. And so for more than 400 years, the Israelites have been slaves. And they have worked every single day for their masters, the Egyptians. And now that God has rescued them, he said, look, you don't have to do that anymore. I'm setting aside this day to free you from the bondage of slavery. But when you've been a slave so long and everything about your life is tied up in that, it's hard to break that mindset. But that's the whole point of it. It's, it's, to, it's to bring us freedom, not to put more bondage on us. And I think that's one of the reasons why we struggle with it. What we need to do is to get back to the essential meaning, the essential understanding of Sabbath. That it is a time to step back. It is a time to rest. It is a time to realize that our lives are not about us, they're about God. Our lives are not determined, our value is not determined by what we do. It's determined by who God is and that we are his children. In the economy, in the economics of God's kingdom, six days of work and one day of rest is better than seven days of work. And we come to see that everything we have, everything that we accomplish is because of God, not because of us. God has provided for us. God has blessed us. God has given to us far beyond what we could ever earn or accomplish by ourselves. But that's difficult for us. For the Israelites, a lot of it's related to to money, to possessions, to getting more. And so they, they trade and they work every single day because it's going to get them more. They're going, they're going to gain more. And I'm convinced 
that greed is connected directly to refusing to observe Sabbath. You cannot observe Sabbath in the way God intended and, and be greedy. The very fact of stepping back and saying, I will not work this one day, I will not earn anything, I will not try to accumulate more on this day, just creates a spirit in us of, of, of generosity. Because we realize what we have is not ours, it's God's. And it begins to break down the walls of how can I get more, how can I get more, how can I get more, which is the curse of our society. If you want to break the pattern of greed, start taking Sabbath. It'll about kill you, but start taking the Sabbath. Because it is a a reminder to us and it is an action by us that what we gain doesn't define us. And the same way is true of our accomplishments. You know, a lot of our lives are wrapped up in what we accomplish what do we do? What we produce? And whether you're talking about the writings that we do, the things we publish, the grades that we get, all of it's wrapped up in what we accomplish. And we believe, we've convinced ourselves that I have to work seven days, I have to do this seven days in order to accomplish all the things that I want to accomplish. And underlying that mindset is My value and my worth is wrapped up in what I accomplish. But the scriptures tell us that our value and worth is wrapped up in who we are as God's children. God doesn't love us more because we've accomplished more. God doesn't show us more grace because we work harder. He simply loves us. He simply pours grace out upon us. We're important to him, whether we accomplish great goals or not. And I know you're sitting there thinking, yes, but I, gotta, I, I have to get these grades to get to the next thing, to get to the next thing. And I, gotta, I have to accomplish this. I've got to produce. I've got to do all these things. And that may well be true. But at some point, if we're children of God, we step back and say, What would happen if I don't get that promotion? What would happen if I don't get that grade? What would happen if I don't make, if I don't get that accomplished? Would I be less valuable? Would the world fall apart? I mean, I can tell you from my own perspective how hard this is. I mean, there's always more work I can do on preparing a sermon, more people to visit, more things to write. There's always more. I mean, my to-do list never is completed, as I suspect yours isn't. But at some point, we have to step back and say, my life is not defined by my to-do list. It's defined by who God is and that I'm a child of God and he values me no matter what. Years ago, I, I heard a, a minister say that, that um, he, he rarely, if ever, took a vacation. He never took a day off. And his, his motto was, if Satan doesn't take a day off, then I'm not going to take a day off. And he said, and then it hit him one day, maybe Satan shouldn't be the role model around in which I shape my life. I mean, God doesn't have to rest on the seventh day of creation, but he does. Who is it that works incessantly? It's the evil one. It's not God. God's the one who rests, who steps back and says, that's good. And this isn't to undermine the gift of work. We, we work, we work hard, and, and work is a gift of God. I didn't used to see it that way. You know, I used to think that work was a curse from God. Why do we have to work? But it, when you realize, what would life be without accomplishing things? 
Adam and Eve in the garden, before they sin, they work. Work isn't the result of their sin. The result of their sin is that work gets a lot more frustrating. The result of their sin is that now work, they begin to think that work defines them. And they become workaholics and work begins to crush them. But they worked long before the fall. And I'm convinced that when the day comes and Christ brings in his kingdom and, and all is restored and we, have this, we live in this new heaven and new earth, we will work. We'll create because that's part of who God is. We're created in God's image. And it brings joy to us to create and, and, to, and to develop things and to do work. There is great satisfaction and joy in that. It's a gift of God. And I believe that that will continue through eternity. We just won't be crushed by our work. We won't be workaholics. We won't let our work define us. But we will work because it's a gift of God. And, and the, the opposite of Sabbath is not slothfulness. It's not laziness. We work hard. We give ourselves to the task before us. We create, we develop, we, we do everything we can to learn and grow and, and, and do the things that we've been called to do and gifted to do. But at some point, we step back and we rest. And I'm convinced we will be better workers. Our minds will be sharper. Our hearts will be clearer. Our spirits will be better when we step back and take a day to rest and let it go. At some point, our perspective on Sabbath reflects our view of God. If we don't take Sabbath, something in us is communicating and something in us believes that God can't really take care of us. God is not the good God that he says he is. If we don't work seven days a week, then things are going to fall apart. The universe is in our hands, not God's. And you can see what that communicates about the kind of God we worship. I think that's one of the primary reasons why Nehemiah is so upset with the Israelites and why God makes this one of the commandments because it reflects the nature and character of who he is. And if Christians don't set aside time for Sabbath rest, what are we communicating to the rest of the world about who God is and what God values and how God thinks about us? I, some, I do think that this is maybe particularly hardest for Christians when you think about our, our work in the world because we, we look around us and we, we look around the world and we see so much need. We see physical need, emotional and spiritual need and, and our hearts are broken by that and we want to try to meet those needs and we want to try to help people and tell people about Christ and we get these passions for that. And, and we believe we cannot stop because if we stop, they'll never hear. And of course, you understand what that's saying. That winning the world is all about us. In reality, winning the world is about what God does. Yes, we are channels, we are vessels. We want to give ourselves to, the, to, to let God use us to reach the world... But ultimately, we aren't going to save anyone. We aren't going to change anyone. Only God can do that. And being workaholics implies we're not sure God can really do that. Evangelism and missions will disintegrate if it's not for us. And it seems to me that that's about as close to heresy as we can get. Sabbath is so important because it gives us time to step back in order to think and to reflect about ourselves, about others, about God. I mean, think about your life and, 
and, and the, the demands on you. The busyness of life. There's always something else coming at us. There's always one more thing to do. Always one more person to talk to. Always one more task to perform. And those things are right in front of us always. And it doesn't matter what our situation is. We all have those. We all have that crushing in on us. And in that busyness of life. We rarely have time to think about ourselves and to think about God and to think about other people. And Sabbath gives us that time. Sabbath gives us that time when we gather together on Sunday to be reminded as we sing and pray and, and, and read the word, we are reminded of the truths of God. We're reminded of who God is and who we are. We're, we are reminded that, that God is our life. We're reminded of all of the, the things of God and how he views us and what he calls us to be and to do. We need that and we need each other. But we also need time to step back and reflect on our own. Jesus says... That when you pray, go into your room and close the door and pray to your Father in secret. There is something about that that mindset of closing the door on the busyness of the world. Closing the door on all those things that are tempting us and enticing us to ignore silence. To ignore contemplation. To ignore stepping back and resting. And so often, we want to leave the door open because, quite frankly, we don't really want to think about our lives. We don't want to think about the stuff. We don't want to hear what God might say to us. Because it might involve conviction and changing the things in our lives. And we see that as bad. God says, no, 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 that's a good thing. I, just don't, I, I want you to get out of this place where you're stuck. And I have so much more for you. And I want to move you out of that. But I can't move you out of that. Unless you're willing to listen to me. And Sabbath gives us that opportunity. And maybe the, the kind of Sabbath is, it's not just one day a week, as imperative as that is. Maybe it's about some time every day of the week. You think about your schedule in the morning. A lot of times it's jump out of bed, hop into the shower eat breakfast, get the kids ready for school, get things together for the day and out the door, grab a cup of coffee and zip right into everything you're going to do and all the, everything is coming at you. And the whole day is that sort of pace. And then you get home and you feel like, oh, so frustrating. What if we did some things in the morning that made it possible for us to have 15 minutes or 30 minutes To take a little Sabbath, to think, to pray, to meditate on the scriptures. And instead of starting our day being thrown in onto the treadmill of life, we step off of it. And we have some resources in us to handle the stuff that comes to us. We may not accomplish anything more doing that. I think we will, but even if we don't, I'm sure we will treat people better. We will see God more clearly as the day goes along. We will handle things much more effectively. And throughout the day, to take five minutes here, maybe ten minutes there, just to step back and shut the door, whether it be physically or, or metaphorically, to close the door on us so that we can just think about God for a few moments and catch our breath and to regain the resources of the Spirit and to remind ourselves that whatever we're dealing with, whatever we're facing, ultimately it's safe to put it into God's hands and to trust Him. As you think about how we might practice Sabbath, 
Those are some things that come to my mind. I also think that maybe one of the ideas that you might want to contemplate is, is, is practicing Sabbath the way the Jews do. From sunset Sabbath Eve to sunset Sabbath. One of the things that I found when I was a student was that there were often expectations of me on Monday morning. And there were periods of time in my life where I tried to practice Sabbath on Sunday and not study. But when you have a huge exam on Monday morning, you really feel under the gun. So you start on, if you start on sunset Saturday night and you end at sunset Sunday night, then you have the opportunity to, to sort of move your mind back into the things that are calling you on Monday. And I think Monday morning will look a lot more peaceful. And I would also say that, again, Sabbath is not what we can't do. It's the freedom to do things. Not to come to worship, but also to spend time with friends and family, to play, to enjoy life because God has blessed us. We have freedom to do things on this day. We have time to do things on this day that we don't have on the other days. And we ought to be taking advantage of that. And being together and caring for each other and, and just enjoying one another. So as you think about Sabbath, what kinds of things can you do? There's one thing, one thing you can do to close that door on a day of the week, on some moments of the day that will enable you to practice Sabbath keeping for the restoration of your soul and to know God more deeply and to be the child of God that he created you and called you to be. Gracious Father, we thank you for the gift of Sabbath. Put into our minds something we can do to close that door. Help us to see the places where the door is open and it needs to be shut. And in this moment, just Speak into our minds. Give us courage to say yes. Thank you, Father, for this gift. Help us to embrace it with all of our might. We ask this through Jesus. Amen. Please stand and join us as we sing. To know you more, turn our attentions from this empty world. Help us count all things for your name, Lord, that we may know you more. And the glory of the cross come change our hearts, come change our hearts. Come change our hearts. Come change our hearts. 
bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.